Welcome. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Living with author and teacher Francois Feinberg. May the message you're about to hear earnestly touch your heart, and may it encourage you in your ongoing love of God the Father, your enjoyment of the Lord Jesus Christ, and your fellowship in both the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ. In the hustle and bustle of our modern Christian lives, we often get bogged down in the trivial. We pursue so many of these rabbit trails and often we cannot see the forest for the trees. That is, often we lose sight, if ever we had it in the first place, of what is really going on on planet Earth. Why did God create man? Why did God bring you forth in this day, in this age, and in this period of world history? Why are you a Christian in the first place? Why are you born of God? Many of us think we are born of God so that we can just, in a way, go to heaven, go to a new place, a better place. But in the upcoming messages, I want to encourage you that God wants to do something on this earth. And God is wanting to use you. The natural carnal man will lose sight of the eternal agenda of God, of the spiritual economy of God. And I hope in our times together that you will draw encouragement again from the teaching and the ministry that you are strategically used of God in this day and age for his purpose for his interest and before we dive deep i want to give you an introductory snippet of the heart of god particularly with man god needed a man God chose to bring forth a man, a man in his image, a man in his likeness. That tells me the man was to be an expression of God. The man was to live for God, speak for God, work for God. The the, the man was God's partner. And we say it this way, as God is in the invisible, as God reigns in the supernatural, He needed a man in the visible. He needed a ruler, a kind of an authoritative figure to represent him so that both the visible and the invisible realm would have the testimony of God. So God makes that man. We know that that man failed. But God will employ the same technique, the same strategy in all the men that would come. Eventually, he would have a man called Enoch who would be walking with God. You can go read about that in the book of Genesis. That man, Enoch, was a follower of God. He was the friend of God. He was the partner of God. God had his man. When the um, world began to be so wicked and fallen, God had a man in Noah. Noah that would stand against that culture as a testimony of God during the Tower of Babel 
when the nations wanted to, to, to flock together and build a name for themselves, God singled out a man by the name of Abram. And he drew him out of paganism to be a testimony. And God was going to use the life of this man, Abraham, to speak for God. And God would make a covenant with this man. He would live for God and bring forth a nation from God. When there was a famine in the land of Canaan, and the people of God were beginning to die, God had a man by the name of Joseph. Joseph that would express God. Joseph was the Adam of that time. The man who lived in that Egyptian empire would be the garden, so to speak, metaphorically, that would supply man. He had his Joseph. In time, the people would be in slavery. God would raise up another man, Moses. He would draw him out. Moses was the Adam of his day. He would speak for God, walk for God, live for God. In time, there would be a new generation that needed to go into the good land and God needed a man. And He had him. His name was Joshua. Joshua would bring the people in. He would war for God, reign for God, lead for God. During the time of the judges, when the whole nation became, you might say, backslidden, God needed a man to speak for him, so He separated Samuel the prophet. A man that lived for God, heard God, walked for God, spoke for God. He was the testimony and the conscience and the voice of God. He was Adam in that garden that God had planted him. In time, God would bring a man by the name of David that would rule for God. In time, God needed a man to build a temple. He would bring his Solomon. During the Babylonian invasion, God needed a prophet to speak for him. He would bring forth Jeremiah. In the Babylonian captivity, God needed a prophet to speak for him, so he would raise up Ezekiel. In Babylon, God needed a man to bow the knee to Yahweh only, and God had his man, Daniel. In time, God would have his man, Jesus. In time, he would have his man, Peter. In time, he would have his man, Paul. At the turn of the first century, there would be Polycarp. In the fourth century, they were this, there was this huge um, heresy that denied Christ's deity under this man called Arius. And God had a man by the name of Athanasius. In the 5th century, people were really confused about the gospel and how it worked. And God had a man by the name of Augustine. And on and on and on it goes through the centuries. Eventually the church became so convoluted with the doctrines of demons and devils, God raised up a man by the name of Luther to stand against that, to express something of the truth of God. Then he brings forth Whitfield, and he brings forth Wesley, and he brings forth the Moravians, and the Anabaptists, and the Quakers, and the, the Puritans. And each little fringe group began to express something of God. He always had a man. He always had a people. What about you and I's day? It's no different. The world is as lost as it has ever been. It's as confused as it has ever been. It's as idolatrous as it has always been. God's not afraid of the decadence and the degradation of the age. What bothers God, if I could use such terms, forgive me, is will He have a man? 
Will he have a vessel in which he can pour his grace, in which he can pour his anointing, and a vessel that would not submit to the culture, but would stand against the tide? Are you that man today? So what is God then doing in me? He is using me in this day and in this age and in this juncture of world history to be his Adam. In our modern Christian era, there are not many who are clear about God's intention for this earth. There are not many who understand the whys of planet Earth, time and space, the realm of the visible. If we step back a little bit before we get into the purpose of man, allow me to just submit this to you. It has been God's desire that the natural realm would mirror the spiritual realm. That is, that the natural realm would be an expression of the spiritual realm. It is God's desire that as it is in the heavens, it would also be in this earth. So that if you can imagine a railroad track with those two tracks, they, they, they follow a similar path, yet they're individual tracks, but they, they have one destiny. It's as though God wanted the visible realm to be a reflection, an expression of the invisible realm, so that in the visible realm, something of God would be seen, something of God would be known, and something of God would be experienced. The Bible clearly teaches in the Gospel of John that nobody has ever seen God. God is invisible. God is spiritual. God lives outside of time and space. And so, why did God create time and space? Why did God create earth? Why did God create man? It's so that through this realm, something of God would be expressed. Something of God's glory would be seen. Something of God would be experienced. Have you ever looked at the night sky? and some of the photography of the uh, galaxies and some of the stars out there and some of the planets out there, and you come to understand that, that the universe is big, and it speaks of the glory of God. The psalmist would say that the heavens declare the glory of God, and earth is to speak for God. Earth is to reflect for God. Earth is to, to make some of God's characteristics known. Some of the glory of God needs to be touched and experienced through the visible realm. It is God's desire then that this earth would be a reflection of his beauty, of his glory, of his person. The man then that God would put in this earth and the woman, their principal duty God's deepest desire for this man is that this man would be in God's image, that he would be in God's authority, that this man would 
express God in the natural, that he would rule and reign in the natural, that he would reflect in the natural who God is in the invisible. Can I submit to you, just by way of introduction, it is God's grand economy, it is God's burden and God's heart that man would shine God. Man would reflect God. Man would be an ambassador, a kind of an expression of God, and that would be man's greatest calling. We ask then an interesting question. Why is there the need then for the man and the woman in the first place to reflect God, to express and exude God? It comes from the book of Genesis, and I want to submit to you a rather controversial thought, a thought that the Bible does not speak about a whole, whole lot. In fact, we have only innuendos at best. But I want to go back all the way to the book of Genesis and a very obscure verse there in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2. Most of us know the creation story only from Genesis 1 verse 3, where it said, God said, let there be light. Most of us understand the creation story from that point onward. And much of the biblical commentary and much of the rabbinic commentary over the ages only go back to Genesis 1, verse 3. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. But prior to Genesis 1, verse 3, there is verse 2 that speaks of a chaotic situation on the earth. There are many theories. Again, the Bible is rather silent as to what verse 2 is all about. But Allow me to just propose to you a theory, a principle, a kind of a picture that is portrayed, and I think you can follow with me and see that God's purposes in verse 3, where God says, let there be light, I think it will be clearer to you if you understand Genesis 1, verse 2. But first, let's read Genesis 1, verse 1. It says, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. We might read into that that God created the visible realm. God created time and space. It did not just happen. It did not just evolve. It's all God. God is the creator of the heaven and of the earth, of the heavens and of terra firma, the planet you and I live on. Genesis 1 verse 1, very understandable. We get it. God is the creator. But here comes the difficult verse 2. And Bible scholars and commentators, they, uh, they struggle with this verse. And there are a thousand opinions as to what is going on. I want to submit to you two theories. The first theory is the evolving theory, if you will. But first, let me read verse 2. It says, 
the earth became waste and emptiness and dark. There was darkness uh, on the surface of the deep. And it says in the latter part, the Spirit of God was brooding upon the surface of the waters. There is a theory, I'm going to call it the evolving theory, that says as God was making creation, as creation was being formed by God, it, 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 it was a little bit empty, it was a little bit vacant and useless and purposeless, and then God sort of out of chaos begins to form and, and fashion and shape this creation, and it's incremental step by step by step. And uh, this theory would then say, verse 3 explains how God then is bringing forth light and bringing order out of this chaos. It's as though God threw a lump of clay on the, the spinning wheel, and it's a little bit vacant, a little empty, a little useless. It doesn't have a lot of purpose. It's as though the universe is just this discombobulated mess, and, and God begins to put His Word on it, and His Spirit on it, and His hands on it, and He begins to fashion it and shape it. And six days later, there you have it, a beautiful uh, expression of order and of, of God's glory. And that is this theory, um, you might call it the theory of process, where it's, it's an incremental stages in which God does that. Um, beautiful, great, wonderful theory. And uh, again, it's just a theory. We don't have a lot of commentary in the Bible itself that speaks as to what happens in Genesis 1 verse 2. But can I present to you another theory? In that verse 1, God created, I might even suppose God created with order, with purpose, with intention, with, with glory and expression. But verse 2 states that there is now yeah, chaos, there is uselessness, emptiness, there is darkness. We might be wondering, why would a God of light, of order, of intentionality, a God of purpose, as we've come to understand God through the entire biblical record, why would God, in a way, create chaos? Well, this is where this theory comes in. And again, it is just a theory, so bear with me. We know in part, we prophesy in part, and we see through a glass dimly, so I do not want to be dogmatic or die on this hill. But can I present to you, this is a description of the satanic infiltration into planet Earth. Back in eternity past, as we understand from the book of Isaiah, a little bit from the book of Ezekiel, and maybe even less from the book of Revelation, Satan wanted to take the throne of God. Satan, a most beautiful and perfect creation, somehow wanted to usurp God's throne, and he wanted to sit in the highest place. Come to understand, again, ever so elementary, that Satan was evicted out of the heavens. Satan was cast down in that rebellious uprising. And the Bible is very clear that Satan was cast down to planet Earth. He was not cast down to Venus or Mars or Jupiter or some other galaxy. Somehow, 
this earth became the um, incarceration grounds for this enemy of God, this rebel against God. And we can only imagine when Satan was cast down with all of his cohorts and the judgment of God on him, that somehow it turned this planet into chaos and into waste and into purposelessness. And it's as though this earth that received the satanic infusion began to be a reflection of Satan's nature, of confusion, of purposelessness, of chaos, if you can follow the metaphor. It's as though Satan produced after his own kind, under the judgment of God, being evicted out of heaven, this earth took on, if you will, the nature and the reflection of darkness, of emptiness, and of just waste. The Bible is even clear in Genesis, the entire earth became sort of baptized in water, if you will. I'm not sure what that looked like, but it's as though we see a picture of an earth that does not reflect God. It's as though the railroad track went off into another direction, and and God's purposes cannot be fulfilled as it is in the heavens. It's no longer on this earth. Earth does not speak for God anymore. It now speaks waste, empty, dark, and a kind of a baptism of death. This is just a theory. All of the chaos on earth was because of the satanic judgment. But now, here comes the good news in Genesis 1 and verse 3, and that God spoke into this decadence, this degradation, this fallen condition, and God said, let there be light. Let there be an expression of my nature, an expression of my glory. It is God's burden that the earth parallels the heavens. And now Satan has come and messed everything up, so to speak. And so God goes to work and he creates and he fashions and he shapes and he molds now over the six ensuing days order. And the reason God is now at work by his spirit in this realm is so that this realm can again be restored to the reflection of God restored to the glory of God. And God then has an agenda. He's going to make a man and he's going to make a woman that will bear his likeness, that will bear his image. The Bible says in Genesis 1 and verse 26 that God made man in his own image and in his own likeness. Why? So that that man would reflect God. God would have a testimony in this chaotic situation, if you will, in this satanic infusion. God would have his man that would be contrary to the the age, the culture, the, the realm. And you'll see if you then read through the entire biblical record, there will always be the satanic infusion, infiltration that degrades the purposes of God, that makes waste the agenda of God. There will always be 
an, an enemy that seeks to usurp God's agenda. And all throughout the biblical record, God will raise up an Adam. God will raise up his man to stand against the satanic onslaught, the satanic mind, the satanic paradigm and view, and the satanic river that flows through, through time and space, if you will. So God then makes his man in his image so that this man can shine God. God makes this man and he says to him, I give you power now. I give you dominion. I give you authority to rule over the birds and over the land animals and even over everything that creeps on the earth and even over the fish. In every dimension of earth's realms, the man was to be an authoritative figure. Just as God rules in the heavens, man was to rule in the natural. God and his man in partnership, together, they would, they would reflect glory and beauty. The man was also to multiply for God. He was to reproduce men in the image of God. Adam, after all, was in the image and likeness of God. And really, he was to birth sons and daughters reflecting his kind, the image of God. So that all throughout this earth, there would be the glory of God. As the waters cover the sea, God's glory through man would shine. So every which way, there would be an image, a reflection of Almighty God. So that through the man, through the natural, something of God would shine. Yeah, there would be a testimony of God. Now through the whole biblical record, you will see God raising men up and giving them a different identity versus the identity of the age. He will make them godly men and women who has the image of God, the calling of God, the word of God, just like God intended for Adam. And you'll see all throughout the ages, God will raise up a man that will have authority and a woman who will have dignity and honor and dominion that rule and reign with God. And you will see all throughout the ages, it's God's heart's desire to, to raise up men and women that bear fruit, that multiply, that express God, and multiply His image and His likeness and His overcoming nature and His glory in this earth. God created the heavens and the earth, but it's as though... With Satan's infusion into this earth, some of the testimony of God got lost. Hence Genesis 1 verse 3, where God by His Spirit begins to do a work. And He begins to bring forth the testimony of purpose, the testimony of God's image, the testimony of life, the testimony of glory. And yeah, God needed a man. Now, when that man lived out God's image, when that man represented God's authority, when that man would bear fruit for God and reproduce kind after his kind, which was the image of God, and that man would fill this earth, this is how this earth 
would speak of the glory of God. It was man's glory to be in God's image. It was man's glory to rule and reign. It was man's glory to multiply. But that serpent, that satanic being came and he poisoned the man and the woman. And he injected into the man and the woman lies. And there's a poison that came into that man and the woman. The Bible calls it sin and death. And it began to break down the image in Adam. It began to break down the God-likeness and identity in that man. It began to break down Adam's authority and it made him a slave. And it began to break down Adam's capability to multiply and to bear fruit and to produce after the likeness of God. And so Adam, the Bible would say, fell. In the book of Romans, he fell from the glory of God. So man no longer spoke for God. Man was no longer a visible expression of God. Man was no longer the testimony of God. And now, here then is the rest of the biblical story. What will God do then to bring about man in his rightful place of glory? That is, man in the image of God again. Man in the authority of God again. Man in the fruit-bearing multiplication uh, capability of God again. And this is where the Lord, Jesus Christ, then comes in. It's the burden of God that the natural reflect the supernatural. Jesus even taught us to pray that as it is in the heavens, Father, let it be done on this earth. Let the earth reflect and be congruent with the invisible. All throughout the ages, God has had his man. He's had his woman to reflect him. But there has never been a person who has reflected God as accurately, as perfectly, as the person of Jesus Christ himself, the Son of the living God. In John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 18, it says that no one has ever seen God. But the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. Christ came and made the invisible God known. So much so that when you saw Christ, you saw the Father. Now you may say, how did we see the Father through Christ? I submit to you, that Christ showed us the image of God. Christ lived in authority. Christ bore the fruit of God. Just like Adam was made in the image of God, Adam was supposed to rule and reign for God, Adam was supposed to bear fruit and multiply and fill this earth, but he failed. Adam fell short of the glory of God. But here comes Christ, and Christ shows us again the glory of God. How does he show us the glory of God? Well, 
at one time, that shining, that radiance did come through Christ when he snuck away with Peter, James, and John. And on the mountain of transfiguration in Matthew 17, Jesus did show us his true colors. He did show us the real Shekinah glory and radiance and effulgence of God. But in his flesh, he was a man of God. He spoke for God. He reflected God. So much so that when you heard Christ, you heard something of God. The work of Christ was not nothing but the work of God. Christ paralleled his Father. He had the heart of his Father, the intentions of his Father, the speaking of his Father. Christ exuded God, and he made God known. We touched a common man, but we touched something of God. Christ was the visible expression of God. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says that the God of this age, that is Satan, he has blinded the thoughts of the unbelievers so that the shining of the gospel, the illumination of the gospel, the radiance of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, might not shine on them. Christ was the image of God. And you see from this verse that Satan continues to to put down and squash and blind and derail men and women so that Christ's image of God, Christ's glory of God cannot shine upon and through man. But first, Christ was the image of God. Christ did shine for God. And Satan, of course, tried to put a lid on that. Satan constantly buffeted Jesus, constantly tricked, constantly tempted, and tried to usurp and derail this man from the purposes of God. But Christ stood. And through Christ, we got to know who God the Father was. Through Christ, we got to know the purposes of God. Through Christ, we got to know the grace and the love of God. Now, Christ wants to do the same. Christ wants to lift up his countenance on his believers, on his children, his sons and his daughters. Christ wants us to shine and reflect God, the beauty of God, the wisdom of God, the grace of God, the same way that Jesus did. What's the purpose of man? The purpose of man is to shine God, exude, emanate, reflect It says in the book of Colossians, chapter 1, that Christ was the image of the invisible God. Colossians 1 and verse 15. We didn't know God. We didn't see God. We, We didn't understand God. But Christ made him known. He declared him. Christ, as the last Adam, shone God forth in this dark world. Adam was supposed to do that, but he fell short of glory. And here comes Christ, and he lives as the God-man, the Son of God on this earth. And he showed us what God's eternal agenda is all about. It also says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 1 and verse 3, that Jesus was the radiance of God's glory. 
It was the effulgence, the shining, the emanation of God's glory. When you saw Christ, you saw the Father. When you heard Christ, you heard the Father. And interaction with Christ was almost an interaction with God. It's as though Christ was the extension of God. It's as though Christ was a visible representation of the invisible God. He was the exact impress of God's substance. Where does that leave you and I? Well, Adam failed. But glory to God, the last Adam fulfilled God's heart's desire. And now that last Adam is wanting to produce sons and daughters after his kind. So that we are now being transformed into his image, into his likeness. And we are taking on his identity. We're becoming his kind, kind of his kind, bone of his bone, if you can follow the metaphor. That is, the glory of God is still being expressed through man. And in our upcoming session, you will see that creation, according to the book of Romans, is groaning in travail. Creation is longing for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed, where we are fully restored in the shining and in the glory of God where we take our place fully in this earth as a testimony of God. So let me close just this introductory session by asking you, do you suppose God's calling is for you to just be a kind of a doctor, a kind of a lawyer, a kind of a teacher? Or could it be much deeper than that? I submit to you, God's heart for you is that you would be a kind of an Adam, A man and a woman who speak and testify and bear witness in the natural that there is a God. Can I ask you today, if men and women interact with you, do they touch something of God? Do they sense something of God? Is there something of the invisible Father that emanates from your speech, your attitude, your disposition? because that's why we are here. Among many other things, I submit to you first and foremost, you are here to be an expression of the invisible 